This is Beyond the Illusion with Tim Howe, Tiana Roser, and Jason Del Rosario. Thanks for listening. This is Beyond the Illusion podcast, episode number one. My name is Tim, and I'll just tell you a little bit about myself before we get started. From the outside, I'm just a regular guy. I have a job and a family, and I've made a lot of the same choices that a lot of people in this life have made. And like many people, as time went on, I started to question my decisions in life and how I got to where I am. And I started asking myself deeper questions, questions like, who am I at my core? What is my true purpose in life? I started asking myself these questions because it felt like there was something missing. So I started looking, I started searching, I started seeking. Many years ago, I started meditating and that opened me up to different states of consciousness. And once I experienced that, I wanted to explore more things like that because they seemed interesting and fascinating to me. Up to that point, I didn't really ever consider myself a spiritual person. In fact, during that time in my life, I wasn't spiritual at all until I started looking deeper into myself. And once I started doing that, I became really fascinated by all these topics and all these things I'd never heard of before. So I decided that I wanted to learn more about these things and that's how I came to do this podcast. And once I started looking into these topics further, I felt like there was so much to learn that I just couldn't do it all by myself. So I approached somebody that had a lot of experience and knowledge in this area, and I asked them if they wanted to do a podcast with me. And mainly I wanted to do the podcast so that I could learn more myself. And I thought that as I went through this process of learning, I could bring along other people with me as well. So I'm really happy to have a great co-host for these podcasts because after recording a couple episodes, it's obvious that this is something I could not have pulled off by myself. So far, it's already changed my life so much, and I'm really excited to share everything that's happened, and it should be pretty interesting to listen to. Tyann and Jason will be introducing themselves in a moment, and I do want to tell them thank you for helping me with this podcast and sharing their beliefs and stories about their lives. I know it takes a lot of courage to do that and put yourself out there like that, because some of the things we say on this podcast are things that our family and friends probably didn't even know about us. And I also want to say thank you to Casey Henson. He has provided us with all the music, and I'm forever grateful to him for that. Because really, the music kind of brings it together. And to me, it's what gives the listening experience more depth. Now, let's go to the conversation with Tiana, Jason, and I, where Tiana is about to introduce herself. So, I'm Tiana Roser. And I also live here in Austin. I've been here for about 11 years, originally from Hawaii. And I am a certified clinical hypnotist, and I specialize in spiritual regression. And I'm also a Reiki master teacher. And I'm fascinated by all sorts of spiritual topics and exploring consciousness and always looking to have those conversations, love having those conversations with people. And so I'm really excited to be a part of this. Thank you. The other host we have here today is Jason, and I'll let him introduce himself. Hi, everybody. Uh, My name is Jason, like Tim said. Uh, I guess let me start, I guess, uh, a little bit about my background. Um, When I was a kid, whenever I went to the library, um, you know, they make you check out books about about stuff that you're studying in school. 
But of course, I, I was only interested in books about just UFOs, ghosts, Bigfoot, the Bermuda Triangle, just things like that. And that kind of stayed in the background, I guess, while I was growing up. As I went through life, you know, I, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Uh, figured that I was probably going to do something science or technical related because my dad was an engineer and my mom was a researcher. Basically, I went to college, um, still not really knowing what I was going to do, but I bounced around between different majors, different, even different schools, uh, but eventually got a degree in computer information systems. Basically, I've been for a long time working in IT uh, and semiconductor engineering. As long as I had been doing it, I'd never really just truly loved it. Like as time went on more and more, I, I like just started really, really hating my job just the longer I was in it. I had always been kind of spiritual. Well, it was, I, I grew up in a religious, uh, like I had a religious background. My parents were like really religious. As time went on, I started kind of, started questioning my religion a little bit, but I was still spiritual. And that, that stayed in the background. Like I just, I knew something was there, but I didn't know where it was going to go. Then in 2009, uh, pretty much everything started to change for me because uh, that's what I call the beginning of like sort of my awakening. It started actually when I saw the very first like pilot episode of Ancient Aliens on the History Channel. And like literally, like when I saw it, I, I was just like, I knew it, you know, and I just it, like stuff that I had just somehow subconsciously believed or just knew deep down. I was just I started seeing it on TV and I was just like, I knew that stuff had to be true. So I, I was like hooked and I started watching like the first six or seven seasons, like all the way through. I started digging deeper, it, it, like it, it was one of those things where it's just like once you open Pandora's box, it's just like you start digging deeper and deeper. So I started just like digging deeper and deeper into like aliens and UFOs at the very beginning. Like for the first time, I finally found something that I was like really, really passionate about. That's something that I really loved, that I really, really just like wanted to learn. But it was just like, you know, it wasn't just aliens and UFOs anymore. It's like I wanted to know the truth about everything. So I started going just like down this rabbit hole and and it was just like the more I learned, the more and more I was I was shocked. But at the same time, I was I was kind of like, so so this is how things really are actually. After that, um, the uh, let me let me just say that my waking process took me down this this whole over the past. It's been about I guess ten years now, and uh, that's pretty much I guess where I am today. Um, I just have like all this stuff that I've learned and. I guess I've reached the point where, where it's like uh, some people have started to ask me about it and I guess now's the time to start talking about it. Yeah, I think kind of what you touched on there transitions well into what Tiana was saying earlier about what is beyond the illusion? Like what, what does that mean to us? Why do you, why do you seek beyond the illusion? What, what is it about that? Well, even what is the illusion? Because... For instance, I think most people or most Americans probably have been raised in a sort of religious, some sort of religious belief. Um, but like I was raised in an atheist household. And yet even though, so maybe, you know, so your illusion and my illusion might have been a little bit different, but then maybe not because I was thinking that the illusion in my mind is that that we're separate from each other and that everything in the world is separate and then maybe that we're separate from the divine yeah. this like separateness and and that separateness could be taught to us within a religious context and also within you know an atheist uh perspective also i would just like to say that there's if there's one thing i found out about about like uh atheist upbringing for some reason atheist up atheists seem to be more 
open-minded from what I've seen at least more open-minded to finding finding out the truth I guess you know it's still up to every person to find out whether or not they you know find out what the truth actually is but they seem to be more open-minded with an atheist upbringing as opposed to somebody who's just like really religious that's just my my from what I've seen though yeah I think it depends because I grew up in a in a very catholic household my father's atheist but my mother's like she was a devout catholic for many many years and um, she raised my brother and I that way you know I guess with that sort of upbringing you don't really have a chance to to think about things like that because you kind of under you have an understanding that came from your parents that you believe okay that's the way things are and you tend to think that way until you get a lot older and then say hey wait a minute (laughs) is it really um but but you can be so busy with life just you know regular everyday things that you don't take the time to sit down and think about that and i remember that happened to me most of my life I was like, well, up until I was in my, maybe my early twenties, I just kind of went along with the whole Catholic thing. I did everything that she wanted me to. And part of it was because I wanted to please her too. Right. So I never really questioned it, but you know, my brother always did like he, he always questioned it. He never really bought it. So, uh, that was kind of interesting that, you know, he, my younger brother was the one who was kind of more awake than me you know, all through growing up. But yeah, as I got older, you know, I started to think about it and I I did get curious. I I started to wonder like, you know, if, if it's not true, if what they're saying isn't true, or even if it is like, how do you know, how do you really find out? You know, like you were saying, I think that's what draws a lot of people to the topic of, of aliens or UFOs or, or anything mysterious like that is, is just this like, not knowing like really what reality is or what what's beyond reality or what happens after we die or any of those big questions you know it's just one of those things and it touches on that real in in that deep part of ourselves that's just searching for for answers because that's what we do yeah so as as i got older i i started to search for answers and that's kind of the reason i was really interested in, in ufos too um for a long time like i was telling you guys earlier I, I was completely obsessed with that topic for, for years. I think maybe atheists have a benefit in not having as much baggage to overcome yeah. because yeah. a lot of religion, um, you know, every religion's different, but a lot of times there's some um, judgment and some guilt. There's these emotional things that get in the way of, you know, looking beyond that. And, and there's a, a concern that you're going to offend God or offend your family and so forth. Whereas with um, atheism, there's just, there isn't any of that, or there wasn't in my growing up. But I do remember, I remember as a child, I remember I must have been like five because it was when we were still living in Hawaii and we went by a cemetery and there was a funeral going on and we were just driving by and I asked my parents, you know, what's going on there? And they had told me that, oh, when a person dies, this is what happens and their, you know, their body gets put here and that's the end of your life. And of course, when you're that young, you don't, you might not understand quite the way that they said it. And I remember that I believed that, oh, you get to a certain age and then you have to go to the cemetery and 
go into the ground. <laughs> and <laughs> it was That's really, funny. really frightening to me. <laughs> and then um, and then I didn't think about it or I tried not to think about it. But then I remember again, there was a point when I lived in Washington. So we moved when I was seven. Um, there was a point where I couldn't sleep because I was laying at night and I couldn't, it just didn't make any sense to me. How How can you have this awareness, this consciousness, and then it suddenly stops existing. It just, I, I, it just didn't make sense to me. And I can remember some sleepless nights. And then, when it's so overwhelming and you can't come up with the answer, then you just stop and you shut down. And that's uh, what happened for many, many years. I didn't ask that question to myself anymore. And you were still, you were still a kid at this point, right? So, yeah, that can be overwhelming. I think for a kid. You know, there's a, there's enough things that you're not familiar with, you know, to put that on top of it all. It's like, you know, it can be too much, I think. Yeah. And then, you know, the town, this little town that we moved to that my dad was from, very small, 2,500 people. So most people were Christian, but the people that I met that were Christian or that had shared those beliefs, it really didn't resonate with me, this kind of like fear of God idea and so so I, it seemed in my mind that I had these two choices there's either the choice that we stop existing and you know we become worms and dirt and so forth or food for worms or there's this judgmental god <laughs> and so if I had those two choices I was like okay I guess I become food for worms you know and just don't want to think about that and then it wasn't till you know many many years later when I could have exposure to many more ideas that I could look at that again and and revisit it. I would think the the worms idea would be pretty scary, right? Like especially as a child, like oh, you only get one shot at this. Like you got to make the most out of it, and after that, it's over, and there's nothing. It's to me that's scary. It gives me a lot of existential anxiety when I think like that because I don't anymore, really. But I used to. I used to think like, "Oh, this is it. You got to make it worth it." And it's super scary to think like that. I remember um, when I was a kid, I had something kind of like what Tyana was explaining too, where it was just like I'd be laying in bed and I'd be thinking, "Okay, well, th- there's death. What, what is past it? You know, and and what would happens afterwards?" And I remember thinking like, to me, it was terrifying because it's. Because then, you know, that was the point where my mind basically shut down. I was like, I don't even want to think about this. This is just like, you know, too scary for me. Then, of course, as you grow up, you learn like what Tyana was saying is there's more than just this thought of a judgmental God. And there's this thought of you die and you just become worm food. But as I started seeing more and more of, of what became the truth for me, all of a sudden, the more and more I thought about it, it wasn't so scary anymore. And it was just like I was able to see beyond that. And it was actually it actually ended up being more of like a very relaxed like meditative state for me and so that that's when i knew that i was i was finding something that just you know i was like i definitely got to go down this path i think vagueness or ambiguity is really frightening for people and this is why people try to have these clear-cut answers either this you know religion that tells you exactly you know what everything is and how it happens or there's nothing and that those are really nice clean clear options but when you go on a spiritual journey you start to find that there's some things that you you feel that you know and then there's all these other things that open up that you're not sure of and it doesn't really change i mean looking being on a spiritual path now for 20 years 
there's some things that I feel more clear about and there's other things that I'm not very clear at and so you have to get comfortable in that ambiguity and I think when I was a child I remember you know because you have a more simplistic way of looking at things I can remember watching football with my dad and asking oh which is the good team and which is the bad team because in my mind there has to be one good team and there has to be a bad team and he said oh neither one of them really because he didn't you know he was just watching it he didn't really have a clear favorite and that was so confusing to me and so I think in that same way a lot of times we're kind of wanting like oh what is good what is evil tell me what's right tell me what's wrong and make it simple for me and then I feel safe and comfortable that's true people want answers they want to compartmentalize things in their mind they want to be able to not have to always question it and come back to it I think so that they can just put it down once and for all like okay you're in this little box and I'm done with you so yeah it is hard to just be like well we don't know and we don't really most things we don't really know we're just pretending like we do you know (laughs) it's like um you know my kid was like when did you feel like you were grown up and I was like well (laughs) You never do. Like no one does. <laughs> it's just one day you realize like, oh, I have to be responsible. But yeah, that's it's kind of how life is, I think. And you know, that that I do feel is is part of this illusion that we're, we're a part of right now is we we are behind some kind of veil and and I I do feel that it is intentional. I feel it's to help us learn um something, you know, that's my personal feel on on what is happening and what the illusion is. But yeah, I I guess I'll go back and and kind of describe my spiritual path. And I do want to hear more about your guys's too. And it's kind of weird for me to say that I'm on a spiritual path because sometimes I don't feel like I am, but I think we all are. When I was uh, like in my 20s and I did start questioning things, I opened that really opened my mind up to a lot of other things. And I'm, I'm thankful for that because if I hadn't started questioning things, I wouldn't have been open to a lot of the ideas that I came across later. I remember I had been working for a long time, like many years for this one company. It just seemed like my whole life was just a blur that I just was working and working. And that was it. That was really all I did. And I was just trying to do what everyone else does, you know, buy the house and and the car and all just what everyone else is doing. And it was, it took me getting laid off to kind of stand back and say like, wait a minute, like, am I just going to keep doing this forever? Like that doesn't sound appealing to me at all. And so I decided instead of just going right back to work, because I could have, I had the kind of job where it was in high enough demand that I could have just found another job the next day. But I was like, no, I I have a little money saved up. So I'm just going to take some time to kind of think about really what I want to do next. So I didn't work for like a year and I just, kind of helped my brother with his jobs because at the time he was a and he still is he's a carpenter so he would get just different jobs around town and I would just help him and then I ran across this guy Terrence McKenna he's like a psychedelic proponent mostly that's what he's mostly known for but really he has like a ton of these recordings where he is just speaking like he did some formal appearances where he would do speeches and people recorded him but a lot of the ones that I listened to was just I think like somebody just sitting around a campfire and turned on a tape recorder and recorded him right and this was like before YouTube and all that when I found this stuff 
they were just recordings online that someone had posted. And I, I remember, um, just listening to them and being like, how could I have never, ever thought of any of this stuff? Like, how could I've go, gone this long in my life and none of this ever occurred to me, you know, cause he would just talk about so many different topics. And so I listened to him hours and hours of this guy for hours and I decided, well, I better do psych, some psychedelics, you know, I better try this out because what he's talking about, I want to know, you know. And so I did. And, you know, I think that really even opened me up more because it, it put my life in a, I was able to step out of my body and look at my life, I think, in a way. So I, I so then from there I started meditating and, and then it kind of, kind of led to, to where I am now. But if I look back, I, I, I think that's a huge turning point for me right there. Just, and it wasn't the drugs or anything that, that did it. I think it was the ideas. I think it was what he spoke about that really spoke to me. And it was, um, it was about this illusion. It was about, there's more than we know. There's more than we see. There's more than buying and accumulating stuff. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And, and that was a big one for me. Yeah, that was that was huge for me too. Once I realized that I was just like I don't actually need all this stuff. I mean, that for me that was actually a big turning point because all of a sudden it felt like I was more relaxed. I was just like, eh, my car is going to go a couple more years the way it is. Fine, you know. Mm-hmm. I just I wasn't interested in getting just like whatever the new car was or anything like that anymore. It was just it was more relaxing for me. Yeah, just focusing on needing this stuff keeps us so busy and distracted, right? Because we have to just keep working so many hours yeah. to get the new stuff that we never sit and have these thoughts and questions and conversations with others about the meaning of life and all of these things. Yeah, and I mean, when I think about the past few years of my life, like some of my most cherished moments are conversations like this, because yeah. this is really, there, there's so much happening, you know, when we get together and we talk about things that mean something to us and, and it just, it goes beyond like, Hey, you know, what'd you pay for that car? Or where'd you, you know, how many square feet is your house? You know, I have so many conversations like that with, with people. And it's just like, wow, we could be t- really talking about something that means something to us. But, you know, we always default to that. I think one of the things that you mentioned is important that a lot of times it takes something uncomfortable to sort of awaken us. Some Something happens to us that shakes us out of, you know, that routine, um, whether, you know, you get laid off or whether there's a death in your family or whether there's a painful breakup or something like this. Um, that's when we start to question um, all of these things. And so uh, even though we look at those those experiences as painful or challenging or difficult. Like when I think of so many of my clients that come to me, a lot of them mention some kind of trauma or some kind of loss or some kind of painful experience that was the precursor to open them up. And when I look back at my own life, not that I want to go into this story today, but um, like when I was 19, I was kidnapped and sexually assaulted and that was a really traumatic experience for me but I thought and I thought in in that experience I thought that I was going to die I thought that this person was going to murder me 
in that experience, the weirdest thing happened in the middle of that. And this was when I was a very, I was an atheist. And in fact, I mocked people <laughs> that believed in something beyond this 19, right? But I remember in the middle of that experience, uh, which was very traumatic, there was this point when this huge peace came over me that didn't make any sense to me. I just suddenly felt so peaceful that I, I felt like, oh, I'm going to die. And why am I so calm? I feel everything's going to be okay. And I felt all of this peace come over me. And even something guided me that got me out of that situation. And, and then I didn't think about it. So, I mean, after after that, it, there was a lot of, I, I basically just shut everything down and locked it away and um, didn't look at it. And in fact, I didn't believe in anything beyond because I thought, oh, how, if there's a higher power, then how can this kind of thing happen to someone like me? But now, looking back, I do think that that was a piece that opened me. And I had never experienced um, something so dark. And I think I had a very maybe naive and positive view of everything. And I think I, I, that was a, a big piece of where I started to question everything that I thought um, was real. And that was an important piece. But I wasn't ready at that point. Um, it wasn't really until I graduated from college and got the job that I thought I wanted, and I was doing the career that I thought I wanted, that it suddenly felt really wrong. Like, this was supposed to make me happy. This is what I wanted all my life that I've worked towards. I'm gonna be this corporate businesswoman. And it felt really empty. And I did feel that sense of almost like I was lied to or deceived. <laughs> like, hey, you told me, I don't know who that you is. Not It's not my parents, it's like society. It's just like, oh, if I, if I do all these things and then I get this job and if I'm making this income, then I'm gonna be happy. And no, this feels really pointless. Why, why am I doing this? And that's sort of what set me on this questioning. I think, you know, first mm -hmm. starting with meditation as a way to give me more peace. And then that seemed to open the door to feeling energy and having a lot of experiences that didn't fit into my idea of what reality was. And, and then there was no going back after that. I also went from there into, into meditation like you and, and um, I didn't have any energy experiences like that ever. I, I didn't, I just would go silent and I guess I was getting something out of that. It wasn't until much later where I had a past life regression with with you, Tiana, and then, and well, no, I don't, I don't know if it was the past life regression or Reiki or both, but when I learned Reiki, I felt like I could feel energy, and that was surprising to me because I didn't believe people when they said that because it's kind of hard to believe, you know. So you went in as a complete skeptic about Reiki and then, and then you had this experience? I wasn't a complete skeptic. I had been hearing a lot about it and I was very curious about it. And so I think mo I mainly went, you, you have a share where mm -hmm. people are able to receive it. And I think that once I received it and I knew that something was happening, that's when I wanted to learn it. Cause I didn't, I wanted to see like, does this work? Cause I am a skeptic. I'm an open-minded skeptic. I, I've always been like that. I think that's a good way to be, you know, you don't want to just blindly believe everything. 
Yeah. And so that's the funny thing is once I learned Reiki, I, I did feel energy and it was bizarre to me. I didn't understand that, how that works. I still don't. <laughs> um, and I do feel energy now. And whereas I never used to, and I never used to believe that, that people could. I think it's important to have our own experience. I'm certainly, I wouldn't have believed anything either if I didn't experience it myself, just because it says it in this special holy book and because this other person who has this degree says it doesn't impress me at all. (laughs) I need to have my own experience or even I might think, well, that might be true for that person, but maybe that's not true for me. And so um, my path has been exploring things that I can have a direct experience. And even I feel drawn towards um, mysticism because that's about having a direct experience of the divine. And everybody's different and we can have our different path. But I do think that, right, once you have your experience, even though you don't quite understand it, there's just no denying that something happened, something outside of what consensus reality is telling you is possible. Even, you know, even with Reiki, like they, there's some studies done, but there really isn't. If you look, there's not like conclusive evidence that Reiki is real. Um, but when you feel it, you're like, well, even though <laughs> it, it does, the science isn't showing that it's true, what what the heck is this that I'm feeling? And, and you can't just pretend that it it's not there. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's kind of, I guess, like um, the path I took too, where it was like I had mentioned before, my parents were mostly science based, and you know, so I was I was basically learning, you know, think logically about everything, and and you know, science has to show you something in order for you to you know conclusively say it's real. And I always kind of knew though, in the back of my mind, I was like, well, you know, I kind of feel this way about something or I kind of feel, you know, this way about something else. But it was I was just like, it's, it's just a feeling, I guess, you know, and like I get there's no I don't know the science to prove it, but it's just a feeling. But then as as I got older and especially as I started going through my awakening process, I started learning. It was just like, OK, well, you know, science says it's this way, but I actually do feel something that tells me differently. And now I've, I've learned like to trust my feelings a lot more. And it turns out, you know, it's just like the more you learn, you also learn that science doesn't exactly know everything. Mm-hmm. And it really is based on what you experienced and, and you, you know what you experienced, you know. The whole thing with science is it's made to disprove itself. It's supposed to, you know, it's like you're, you're always trying to figure out what's true and yeah. what's true today may not hold up tomorrow. Yeah, I went through that phase too where people would say, Oh, I feel this about that. And I would think to myself, why are you feeling it? You should be thinking about it. Like you should, you should not be feeling that (laughs) you should, you you feel like this is the right move to make, but you should be thinking about what the right move to make is. And then now I, I come completely full circle on that one. And I think you really should trust your feelings more than your thoughts about things. Cause sometimes you can trick yourself with your thoughts, you know, but your feelings, you really can't trick those. Yeah, so. I always I was gonna say also that I you know it's like I always have a feeling, but I always try to I always try to prove it. You know, especially if there is some kind of logical scientific way I can prove it, and you know that's 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 great. But of course, my feeling is telling me something, and it's what it's telling me is there's something I need to look into further. I think that um, we don't have to choose one or the other, luckily. <laughs> yeah. So we we tend to see like our thoughts and our feelings, and in this like 
antagonistic way, like, oh, you have to choose one instead of the other. But um, we can use them both to inform our choices. Yeah. But yeah, I was thinking about, um, I don't know if you guys have read Gary Zukov's um, Seed of the Soul. No. It's it's a classic book. It's been around for, I don't know, a long time. But yeah, he talks about um, becoming the multi-sensory human. Okay. So if, if we're just existing from our five senses, then we tend to be survival-based. And then because we're survival-based, then we're trying to control our environment. And that's where humanity's been and is you know, for a long time. But so because when we say feelings, that word can mean different things for different people, right? So you could have yeah. your... Emotion, your feelings, your emotional feelings, but you could also have these like multi-sensory feelings, your your intuition and, and so forth. And so I think it's important to, to clarify like, oh, and, and we only figure that out by exploring within and, and so forth. Because sometimes there's a feeling or a voice and it's like, oh, which part of me is that voice? Because that voice could be coming from my subconscious, my lower emotional self, or that voice could be coming from reason or that voice could be coming from um, higher consciousness and same with our feelings Um, that feeling could be coming from my lower self or that could be coming intuitively from my higher self and so just this idea that there's more than these five senses and becoming open to that and a lot of times psychedelics and different substances um, I feel open the door to that rather than create some illusion which is what sometimes what people think you know um, I think a lot of times it clears that veil or opens that door um, to these other senses that are out there that are available to us um, that we mostly are not open to and so therefore don't experience that reminded me of um, of something that I read in um, you guys are going to find this out pretty soon so I might as well just just say it now I'm, I've been reading these, this is like my third pass over this book or these books, um, called the law of one. And, um, the Diana and Jason know that I'm kind of obsessed with these books. I, I, I've read them so many times now, but, um, something they said in one of them was, well, I'll describe what it is first before I go into that. But these books are channeled material from the early eighties and late seventies, I guess that a group of three people uh, channeled from some entities called raw ra and um it's just it's spiritual teaching really and I, I i i'm fascinated by these books because they have a lot of stuff that could be verified and has been you know i do take it with a grain of salt but at the same time i i believe most of it what they reminded me of what you said is um they talked about how um, some people have like a random hole I guess in their in their being and it gives them access to their higher self and other people most people don't have that but some people do and they can feel more right like they're getting more information from their higher self and it kind of reminded me of that when you said that Um, but they also said that some people uh, that they said many people can access this random hole like this by taking substances such as LSD, and that's what they say in there. 
And I believe that to be true because um, I, I've had experiences with uh, my brother where, um, and I wasn't a very spiritual person at this time, but um, I've had experiences where we were definitely in contact with something outside of ourselves, right? And we both were. And I couldn't explain it. You know, I still can't to this day, but I know it was real. And I sound like a madman when I tell people that, like, I, I could, I had access to like knowledge that I don't normally have access to. Right. And they're just like, well, you were, you were on drugs, you were high. And I was, I'm like, no, it was different. <laughs> like I'm trying to explain to you. I, it's yeah. something that's almost impossible to explain. Um, but when you're there and you, you, you experience it, it's, it's more real than this. So yeah, I, I believe that, you know, people have access to all, all sorts of feelings and yeah, we do, we do have to kind of take everything and put it together in a way very carefully. You know, we don't want to discard anything that could potentially be useful to us or helpful for us. Yeah. I, was, I wanted to say, uh, just to add on to what you were saying, Tim, um, yeah, it's, I guess that, that's one of those situations where it's just like, uh, like I was saying, it was just like, you know what you felt. And it's always hard explaining to somebody because it was it was a very intimate experience that you had. It was a spiritual or conscious kind of experience. And it's just hard to explain it to people sometimes. And, you know, it's just like there might not be scientific proof that you can show somebody, but it's just like, you know what you felt. Yeah, I think if you are going on this path of inner exploration, uh, at some point you learn that you have to let go of needing that external validation from others yeah. because so much of what you experience inwardly um, is isn't verifiable um, outwardly and um, and I think that's part of the path is that you start to find your own inner knowingness your own highest truth and you trust it versus in this old way of this external authority that tells us what's true. And I, I, what's going on outwardly in the world is kind of uh, helping to facilitate that process for a lot of people because everything used to feel safe and secure because the government said that, you know, this water is safe to drink and um, this is the food pyramid of how we should all eat and um, my job is going to take care of me for the rest of my life and all of this stuff in, in however many years it's been now has kind of been upended and people have stopped trusting that there are these outer forces that are going to make everything okay for them or, or yeah, the government and politics and all of these things and now are starting to uh, start to take responsibility for figuring that out from themselves. And if you look at this millennial generation, I think that that's sort of a proof of that. They're really kind of deciding for themselves like, oh, we don't need to own a house or we don't need to own a car or just all these things that were like, I don't know, maybe in our generation, we thought like, oh, these are yeah. set things. Everybody does this. You go to college, you get your job, you buy your house and your car. And all of those things are not set in stone anymore. And I think that that opens the door for a lot of other things that um, were the way to be questioned. And that's really healthy. Yeah. Yeah, I also wanted to say one more other thing, uh, I guess based on what Tyana just said, is that um, like like for me, from my own personal experience, uh, I guess it was just my upbringing. Um, I, was af I was afraid of what people would think of me, you know? But 
as I learned as I got older, I believe what I believe and there's no need to be afraid of what people think of you. And I think people may disagree with you on some things, but it's just they'll realize more things for themselves. And, and I think that's, you know, you'll, you'll start to see it more and more in society. Yeah, you, you can see like the younger generations are really like that now. It's they're they're way ahead of where I was, I feel like. Like yeah. even my daughter, she's like she questions things that I would have never questioned at her age. Um but yeah, I I I have to agree with you on uh that not caring about what people think because that's such an empowering way to think. It is. Yeah, cuz I you know, I I vary on that it, during periods in my life. I'll go through periods where I really don't care what people think. And then, you know, you kind of drift back into the other way of caring more what people think and, you know, the situations that call for that too. And, uh, but I do think that for me personally, when I, when I went through this phase of really not caring what people think, it was during that time where I was listening to Terrence McKenna a lot. And I remember we had this, we had this really nice car and we had a huge car payment. One day I got in it and I was like, I hate this car. <laughs> I really hate this car. Like the, the interior was like super outdated and it was, it was a, it was like a European car. Right. But like for some reason they hadn't caught up to like what at, it was like in this weird period of time where American cars had all this technology in them and European cars didn't. And I got in it one day and I was like, I can't even play my MP3 player in here. Like this car, we have this huge car payment. I don't want this car anymore. And I, at that point, I really didn't. I stopped caring what people thought at all about me. And so I sold it and I bought this little truck and it was like this little Toyota. Um, one of the tiny ones, like you don't see them very often now, but they're like super tiny little trucks. And it was old and it was beat up. And my friend was selling it and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna drive that from now on because I don't care. I'm not trying to impress anybody and it's fine. And it was actually very useful. Like it wasn't nice at all, <laughs> but it got great gas mileage and I loved it. I, and I put the stereo that I wanted in there and I could play my MP3. So it worked out. But during that time in my life, I really went to the extreme of not caring. And I found myself in a really good place mentally. And I think spiritually too, I felt like I was moving closer and closer to my true self during that time. And I would have these really intense dreams and really intense what now I would look at as a spiritual experience. And I just thought it was weird back then. You know, I just thought these weird things were happening to me. <laughs> but I feel like it had a lot to do with me dropping that shell that I wore for so many years of my old self where I was just being the person I thought everyone wanted me to be. And I finally just let go of that. And I just was like having all these amazing experiences because of it. Um, you know, and I did look back on that period of my time. Well, I drifted back into that old shell, you know, when I went back to work and everything, cause you kind of have to put on a certain face, you know, when you work at a corporation and if you want to fit in and <laughs> not be like, you know, either fired or just an outcast altogether. But, um, but yeah, when I look back on that period of my life, I feel like I was becoming more of my true self. And I feel like that's why I had some of the experiences that I did have, um, like these, these dreams and they were more than dreams. Sometimes they were, they were messages, you know, when I look back on it, they were, they were definitely a higher power or my higher self or something trying to communicate with me. 
Yeah, something was reaching through. Yeah, when I started to have all these spiritual experiences and I was still working in the corporate job and then I decided that I'm going to quit that job so that I can find myself and figure out, you know, this true self that you're talking about. I felt at that point in my life that I had to leave Hawaii and get as far away from everybody that I knew um, to do that because it didn't feel safe. Um, I mean, that was my perception. I'm sure, I mean, everyone there, all everyone I know is loving and accepting. But in my mind, like I had to be totally away in a new environment where nobody knew me to be able to explore and, and figure out who that was. Which is kind of funny because when I think about Hawaii, I think of it as a spiritual place, you know? Like it seems like it is, but you were, you you left as soon as you started. Becoming... I, I did it backwards. I left Hawaii and moved to Boston to find myself. And everybody in Boston was like, you're from Hawaii? Why would you move here? That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> but it worked out perfect for me because Boston, and it was, it was very cold compared to Hawaii. And, um, and the people are more, you know, it takes them a while to open up to other people um, that are new to them. And... And then I didn't have it. And I started working in a cafe for minimum wage. And I didn't realize how expensive it was going to be to live in Boston. So I didn't have any money really to do anything anyway. Um, so I just had a lot of time and space to meditate and read a lot of books and, you know, do these different types of spiritual practices. So it worked out perfect. But yeah, it does sound a little backwards. How about you? How did you end up in Austin, Jason? Um I came here for college. Um, I got out of high school. Uh, I didn't, like I was saying earlier, it's like I didn't know what I wanted to do. And my dad was an electrical engineer and and I was good with like math and science. So I was just like, mechanical engineering sounds good. Uh, and and I, the weird thing is I didn't even know, like truly know what an engineer did, like a classical engineer. I, I didn't know what that did. I, I mean, sure, my dad's an electrical engineer, but it just never occurred to me to ask him. And even like what he told me is I didn't really understand it, but I was just like, okay, math and science equals engineer. Okay, I'm going to become a mechanical engineer. So I applied into UT and I got in. And the weird thing was, it was like, so I I got in, but the day I got the acceptance letter, I was just like, okay, I guess this is happening. And so I came here to Austin and I, I, well, I I came here and then I bounced around in between majors when I figured out I didn't want to be a mechanical engineer anymore. Um, I ended up in San Marcos uh, finishing my degree there at, at Texas State University. And then, and then I came back to Austin afterwards. And I've been here like I think a total of like 19 years, kind of like like uh, you, Tim. So mm-hmm. that's that's how it happened, I guess. That's funny. You you were just like, well, I guess this is happening. He's going with the flow, I guess. <laughs> oh, no, man. Yeah, I, I, it's so weird because it's like, yeah, whenever I think about it, like when I think about it now and like think about back then and everything, I was just like, I, like for some reason I never believe somebody when they say oh you know I I don't have any regrets because in all honesty I have regrets and I, I think I, I can think of things that I would have done differently but I just think to me that that's just something I learned and that's how I learned it so that to me that's it's like yes I have regrets but it was something that I learned yeah I think um, I was I was similar to you in that regard I went to college just because my parents wanted me well I didn't it was no question like my parents were like you're going to college and I, they hadn't, my, neither one of my parents have a college degree. They had never gone. So when I got there, I was like, oh, you have to declare a major. Like you have to know what you want to do here. It's not just like high school. You just take all the courses and you're done. I didn't even know that. And so, you know, 
it's funny. I went undeclared for a couple of years and then I took a class where you had to give a presentation and I don't know why this stands out to me, but you had to give a presentation in this class and it was your whole grade was this one presentation at the end of the class. And so I worked on it really hard and I prepared and I practiced the presentation and I was really ready for it. And it was a computer class. It was like a basic entry level computer class, like just teaching you like how to use Microsoft Word and stuff like that. Just really pretty easy. And, um, you know, I prepared and I got, I get, I, I got an A on the presentation and I did well. And it was like one of the only classes I ever got an A in, in college. So I was like, Oh, well, since I did well in that class, I guess I'll just study computer science, you know, cause I must be good at computers. Um, but the one thing that I kind of regret in that class is everyone else was clearly like either had like a pretty hard, the other, other classes were really hard or they were just lazy because when they gave their presentation, they weren't very good. Like you could tell they just didn't put a lot of effort into most people. And so how you got your grade was all the other people in the class gave you a grade and then you got the average of what that grade was. Right. So I was giving people really bad grades on their presentations. And when I look back on that, I'm like, you know, that's really kind of thoughtless because I don't know what's going on in their life. They could have had all these other really crazy hard classes. And I know I didn't, mine were all easy except for that one. And, uh, yeah, I don't know why I remember that, but yeah, I, I feel bad for giving them really bad grades on their presentations. I should have been more understanding, but yeah, that's how I just found myself in, in doing what I do now. Like it led me all the way to here to where I am now because um, yeah, I studied computer science. I got the degree and then I went and got a job and found myself here in Austin. And that's yep. pretty much how I got, uh, my marketing degree <laughs> because it was this really? kind of same kind of thing where you had to, you know, decide and what path to take. And I didn't have any passion about something particular. So it was logic that told me, well, I should be in business because there's always going to be a need for business. And then again, it was logic of like, I don't really like numbers, so I should choose one of the business majors that don't have to do with numbers. And that's how I came in to uh, do marketing. I think might might be different. This might be different. might just be me, or it might be like a male-female thing, right? Because as soon as I got in that environment, you know, being a more emotional creature, I just felt like, oh, this this doesn't feel good. I don't like it here. I don't like, this is what, you know, I, I was doing well, and um, but it, it wasn't feeling good to me. And so, um, whereas I feel, you know, because women, we have all these extra hormones, and so we're just more right-brained, and then men are wired to be more left-brained. So logically, you know, you would be thinking, oh, I'm doing well in this career, and it's supporting me, and I'll just keep going. And then for me, I was all about feeling, and I was like, oh, no, I can't. I can't keep feeling like this. I can't go on like this. I felt that way too, but I just powered through it. <laughs> that's that's what happened to me. I think you're, I think that's you're right about me. a male female thing because yeah, I I feel like if I maybe had stood stepped back and said like, hey, you know, why am I feeling like this, uh, or even like thought about my emotions at all at that point, you know, because as a male, you're you are kind of conditioned to be like. Uh, it's not okay to have feelings. You shouldn't be crying. You shouldn't be 
like that. And so, yeah, that's, that is unfortunate, I think. Yeah. That, uh, like, uh, going back to one of the things where I, uh, where I was talking about like regrets, I remember there was a point in my life, um, I think it was like my third year of college where I was, I was thinking about dropping out cause I didn't like anything that I had studied so far. And I was just like, I don't know if I want to do this, but of course I powered through it, didn't think about it and powered through it. And then ended up with, eventually ended up with, with like a line of work that I didn't like doing. But that was one of those moments though, where it was just like, something was telling me in the back of my mind, it was just like, you need to take time to process this drop out, you know, who cares what anybody thinks, uh, you know, it's like, sure, your whole family has a degree, but you probably won't have one right now, you know, and, but I just powered through it, you know, and I was afraid of what people thought. And that's, that's one of my regrets is that I think I could have done that differently. Yeah. Because at some point you said that you wanted to be a comedian, right? <laughs> like, tell us about that. Oh man. Uh, man tell us in like... a funny way. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No pressure, Tyana. Uh, yeah, that, this, it feels like such a, like a lifetime ago, actually. Um, so my entire life, um, I, you know, I, w- I was math and science oriented, but I realized that one of the few things that I loved doing was I loved, I loved laughing and I loved making people laugh. And I actually was able to make people laugh. And, and I was like, this, this feels great. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to do this, but with my upbringing, I was just like, okay, but, uh, how do you get a job like this? You know, I didn't know, you know, comedian didn't occur to me as like a type of job that I could do or that maybe I should think about doing. All I thought was like, okay, math and science. So, um, as time went by, it was, it was kind of like I had that comedian niche where it was just like, I, I felt like I should be doing something with it. But I, you know, I, by that time I was already in college and I just, you know, some more math and science. I, I, I think I had, at one point I had convinced myself too, where I was just like, okay, what I'm going to do is finish my degree and then I'm going to get, I'm going to get a job and then I'm going to explore stand-up comedy. But it ended up dragging out for a while because of course I kept switching majors. And so it kind of like started like burning out on me, I guess, like that, that the idea of, of being a comedian. And I, as I started, uh, you know, like I still kind of had that comedian niche a little bit though. Like even after I'd graduated and, and I got in a job that I realized I didn't like, I was like, you know, something's telling me that I, I need to try stand up comedy. But then of course, like I, I, this, I guess this gets in the whole thing about my awakening process. Uh, it all changed though. When I had my awakening process, all of a sudden every, all the material that I had written down over the years that I thought I was going to try one day on at an open mic night, it was different because I'd realized the material was not me anymore. And, uh, it, it, it like, uh, to this day, um, I still like laughing. I, I love laughing. I wish I could make people laugh the way I used to, but well, it's just like, do. I'm different. You haven't outgrown that yet? <laughs> <laughs> no. That's funny uh, that you went all the way to the point of having a routine, like a, yeah. for an open mic night. Yeah. I, I, um, and I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's just like, there were a couple of times where I was going to go up on open mic night, but I was too scared. But there were other times that where I was just like, I looked at my material and I was like, this really is enough for a couple of different open mic nights that I could do with completely different material at each and every one. But I just um, like, uh, oh, uh, but but another side point that I should mention though here though is as, as I was working in my, like my IT jobs and stuff, my computer related jobs, I started getting really burned out. And so it was just like, I was thinking less and less. It, it was like, oh man, I, I you know, I, open mic night would be great, but I'm like, I just worked like a 10 or 11 hour day. And I was just like, oh man. So I started experiencing that and it kind of just didn't work out for me that way either. Now though, it's just in a way, like when I do look at the positive side of it, um, 
it was kind of like what you were saying, Tim, with like um, you had a different podcast and it's it was like a while ago. If I, if I would have like looked at the material that I would have done like now, the material that I would have done back then, I, I would have been like, man, who is this guy? This isn't even this isn't even me anymore. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know if if there's a way I can somehow come out with conscious comedy or something, I guess it'd be great. But I don't know. I got I nothing like right that. now. Conscious comedy. I like conscious that. Comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can trademark that. <laughs> yeah, we we all we we all mature and grow. I mean, everyone is a different person now than they were a year ago or even two or three, you know. I remember when um I was going through a similar situation as you where at right before I got laid off, we were just like not doing anything. So we would go to work all day long and they would have nothing for us to do because we knew what was coming, right? Like they were just going to cut the whole office and let everybody go. And so there were days where we would just come in and talk to each other or just do whatever. And I remember I wrote this story, like I, I wrote a, a whole story and I kept it and I printed it out and I had it somewhere. And this is years and years ago. And I pulled it out the other day and it was really good. I was like, I couldn't believe I wrote it. I was like, I don't, I, I can't believe I wrote that. Like I could write like that. And, but it was real like crass. Like it had some really crass things in it and it was funny still to me, but like, I wouldn't write that now. You know, if I had to write the same story, it would be a completely different story. Like I would write it in a different way. So it's okay. You, you grow, people grow, we change. You could still do conscious comedy now, <laughs> even well, uh, though, but your stuff back then probably would have killed. It probably would have been great. Well, I, I look back on it and I, and I thought like I had looked at my material recently, stuff I'd written years ago. And I thought this, this would actually probably still work today, but now it's just, just like an example. Um, I was talking the other, other day with, uh, Frank, like a, you know, Frank, uh, yeah. my, my friend Frank. And he was, he was like, okay, well, what kind of jokes do you have now? And I was just like, what kind of jokes do I have now? And I had remembered like, and hopefully nobody steals this bit, <laughs> but, uh, so I had thought of this weird joke about, um, like, uh, if, if you remember like a couple, I think it was like last year or even the past couple years, we'd had space probes where they were, we were done with them apparently. And there was one like orbiting Venus and, and they were just like, yeah, we're done with it. Let's just crash it into Venus. And so they just like crash it into Venus. And apparently they did this back with the, with like the, the probes that went to the moon back in like the late sixties. They were just like, yeah, uh, we've done everything here. So crash the probe into the moon so they they would just crash stuff in there and, and i was just sitting there wondering i was like okay if there's like ets around like extraterrestrials and stuff it's just like i wonder if they're just they're trying to tell us somehow to stop throwing our trash like on their planet <laughs> and i don't know i had a i had a bit that was supposed to elaborate on that but yeah. that's basically the kind of stuff that i think of these days and okay so i don't know that's not bad I, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what kind of audience you get with that, but it's like you, you either get people that are like, yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. Or your people are like, boo, ETs. And it's just like, you know, from like, it, it's like I didn't even get to the, the part with the rest of the joke yet, you know? So, But that brings to mind that the more that we are being our authentic self is we aren't going to please everybody. And that's okay. We're going to cultivate the people that are... Um, our people, you know, that that are interested and open to these particular concepts. And so this idea that we're trying to appeal to everyone makes us um, not be our authentic self. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's absolutely true. And I was going to tell you like there, there is a, there's an audience for, for everyone almost like, I think that, um, for this podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I think our people will find us, but, um, I, I listen to this guy occasionally, mostly cause you send it to me, but, um, his name is David Wilcock. He's a, he's an author too. And he, he has huge crowds that listen to him and y- you wouldn't believe the stuff he says. It's just like, it's way out there. And, but I, I'm into it. I, I like it a lot. But when I see that, I'm like, yeah, there, you know, there, there is an audience for that kind of stuff that there, there's probably a pretty much bigger than you would think, uh, you know, for, yeah, I, I kind of think that too, because like with his crowd, um, I, the, the kind of the, the impression that I get, and I'm, of course, by the way, I'm, I'm a fan of David Wilcock uh, also. Um, the impression that I get with this crowd is just like a bunch of people, especially people who who have like watching him for the first time, maybe if they're there in person, it's just like a bunch of people like looking around going like, wow, I guess I'm not alone on this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's the impression I get. Yeah, I, I, I always say that it's probably, you know, the world that I live in because of the work that I do. And so my clients are people that are spiritually open and um so so yeah to me that's like that's everybody (laughs) everywhere i go somehow i seem to attract these people even you know when i'm not necessarily doing spiritual practice i'm i love to travel the world but whenever i meet people just randomly on the bus or the train or whatever they're reiki masters also and they're interested in spiritual things also and i'm like i know the whole world is not open and interested to these things but somehow in my world that's the people that i meet all the time and i do think it has to do with energy it's it, oh, everything yeah. is frequency and so the more you are stepping into your own true self and you are radiating that frequency you're going to f- attract similar types of people um and so then it does start to seem to you that oh everybody's like that or i don't know what are you what are your experiences yeah i think that's true too uh, you'd probably be surprised you know in a lot of situations if you happen to have the courage to bring up these kind of topics that people really would be response you know, you know respond to it but yeah i i wish that it was like that for me because i could talk about this stuff for hours i love it you know it's really fun but um, most of the people that i interact with on a regular basis just they don't seem open to it and I'm, I don't have the courage to, to come out to them like that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do think that for people like you, it probably is like that because that's, that's your work. You know, you, you, you do, you know, somewhat spiritual work and, um, you know, the people who are open to that are going to come to you for that. So I think that's a blessing for you. I, I think. It, it's funny how, I mean, I keep thinking, that, oh, I've come out of my spiritual closet many years ago, but then I keep realizing that there's more layers of that and even things like what you post on social media and things like that, that I was sort of uh, censoring myself in certain ways. And I've continued to open that more. And as I've done that, people do come out of the woodworks, people that you didn't know had similar beliefs or or similar types of experiences. The more that you stop caring what other people think and you just put it out there, um, the more that people are are coming out and, and thanking you for expressing that. Because like you said, like they didn't know that there are other people out there that feel the same way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, going on the energetically, uh, energetic thing that Tyana was talking about. It's like, um, it, it's one of those things, and, and I, I see it both of the ways that you guys described it. Like with Tim, um, 
I, you know, I, I'd worked in the computer industry for a while too, just like, just like you have. And it's like, I look around just like the, the people I was working with. And it, to me, it's just like, I just seemed like every, I was different from everybody else. And it was hard just, you know, can't really bring up with anything with like people like that, uh, or at least the people that I was working with in particular. But then like in Tiana's case, it's just like, she basically, you have a profession where you're basically like living what your philosophy is. And I've, I've noticed on occasions, like, especially as I, as I find myself, as I realize that I've like kind of awakened more and more that the energy, it, it just seems like I seem to attract more people into my life that are kind of, uh, that, that I guess vibe with that energy for some reason. It's like, you know, when you're trying to figure out, well, in my case, I guess it's like, I was trying to figure out, it's like, what am I doing here on this, on this earth, you know, and what, what's my purpose here? And, and one, one of the things I figured at least was that, um, I think I'm supposed to help people awaken somehow. And, and you know, this is one of the ways to do it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many different ways. Can you tell us like a little more about how you got into like your line of work, Tiana? Sure. So I started to meditate, like I said, when I was back in the corporate job, then I started to feel energy and I wanted to kind of understand what was going on. And somebody had mentioned, um, oh, go see this energy guy who happened to be a Reiki master. And when I went to see him, and he was totally that stereotypical what I would have imagined a Reiki master in my head to be like, you know, he was this older Japanese man who was very quiet, but just kind of exuded compassion and kindness, but also strength. And he had this room that was just kind of very zen, very empty with a mat on the floor. And he did Reiki the very traditional way, which is, you know, to kneel down next to the recipient and and give Reiki. I just felt so much during that session. I felt amazing. And I, after I just thought, I want this all the time. (laughs) How can I have this all the time? And he said that he taught Reiki. And so that's where my Reiki journey started and um so i i took the first level class with him and meanwhile this is you know so through meditation and through working with energy all these crazy things were happening because uh although meditation was really hard for me at first one day when it just it finally clicked i wanted to meditate all the time (laughs) when i look back now it was sort of my it was escapism right because like oh this corporate world just seemed so empty and meaningless and then oh I can't wait to escape into meditation for four hours so um, I often say that I think anybody if you meditate for four hours every day you're gonna have some big crazy experiences and I did Um, and so all of these things were happening where I would meditate and I would just float out of my body and be in the cosmos or I would meditate and I started just spontaneously going into past lives and I didn't even know what I thought about past lives but I was having these experiences and so that all of this made me really want to read and understand everything I could and I was reading all of these books and one of the books that I read early on was Journey of Souls by Michael Newton and when I read that book it just it was one of those things, I guess this is like when I first started to 
get that um, feeling of, I don't know, maybe there's this like muscle, this inner knowing muscle where somebody could say something or I could read something and it, it would just feel, I would know it's true. Like I often say that about quantum physics, like my little left brain can't quite understand quantum physics, but that little inner knowing piece of me knows it's true. And um, so, so yeah, I started to, to feel this little inner knowingness and, and follow things that would resonate. So when I read this book, I just really activated that part of me that said, yes, this feels true that guy has the coolest job. I remember thinking that, that guy has the coolest job, but it never dawned on me at that point, like, oh, I could do that job. And I mean, it was really early in my journey. I really had a lot more healing and understanding and clearing and awakening to do. Um, so it, it didn't dawn on me then. And then of course I quit that job, moved to Boston, was working in a cafe. And um, that was fun for a while because I had time freedom. So um, even though I didn't have a lot of money, I had a lot of time to explore these things. And that's what I was really wanting was like, when I leave that job at the end of the day, there's nothing hanging over my head. There's no cafe business that's like still, you know, hanging over my head that won't allow me to feel totally free and be able to explore these things. But of course, after doing that for, I don't know, like a year and a half, a couple years, I felt like, okay, this is way below my potentiality. <laughs> and I know I need to, to utilize you know, myself in a higher way, but I didn't know what it was gonna be because I don't wanna go back to the world of business, but I couldn't figure out what this was gonna look like. I really felt this strong desire like, yeah, I wanna help people, I want, you know, to waken people up the way that I woke up and see that there's more and there's something beyond. But it really frustrated me that I couldn't figure it out. And then um, I found this spiritual school uh, that was in Georgia. And I went to this school and I did this like nine day introductory thing that they had. And they'd said, okay, your energy has shifted now. So don't be surprised if when you go back home, something is going to shift because you know the things in your life are a reflection of your energy and so you've made this big shift things might change and so i got back and when i got back home like the day that i went back to work they said oh we're closing the cafe everybody has to get new jobs I was like, wow, that was quick. <laughs> okay, well, I know, I'm, but it's interesting because the other people that were working in the cafe were all really worried about finding another job. And I was like in this Zen place from this retreat and I was like, oh no, it'll all work itself out. And sure enough, like I got like three job offers that came to me and um, one of them was to be this cafe manager at, at this, uh, the Barnes and Noble bookstore um, in uh, for the Boston University, it was their bookstore. Anyway, still not, you know, the helping the world job that I thought I was gonna do, but now I was making more money. And the thing was that whenever I'd have my lunch break, I would just walk around and look at all the books. And, uh, but again, there came a point where I just felt really frustrated. I was like, oh, I'm just, this is not my highest potential. And I would go home every night and kind of pray, even though I don't believe in sort of that religious practice exactly, or this, masculine patriarchal god i did sort of pray like like 
to the divine, like, oh, use me. I want I want to be of service. Help help me find the way. And then I'd feel really frustrated because I would like look in the job ads. I don't know what I was thinking I was going to find in there. But I'd be like, oh, I can't find a job that that's going to utilize me in my highest potential. And I felt really frustrated, like, oh, I guess the divine doesn't want to use me. I'm not good enough and I'm not worthy or something like this. But of course, it was always my own stuff that I had to work through. And then one day I uh, saw this book. It was called Work as Spiritual Practice. I was like, I need that book. (laughs) And I got that book and it was really about, um, because I had felt this this separation like oh i have to work all of this and maybe maybe you guys have felt this and like oh so that then i can come home and do what's really meaningful my spiritual practice and be connected and oh why do i have to waste all of these other hours you know just so that i can eat and have a roof over my head um but work as spiritual practice was like everything is spiritual practice every interaction that you have with another person. It's all about your awareness and your consciousness. Like if you're looking at, oh, in what way can I be of service when I'm serving a cup of coffee or when I'm talking to this person or what can I be learning from this interaction and growing, then it's all part of my spiritual practice. And once I started to apply that, like everything shifted in my life. Of course, there's a lot more to that story and so, the relationship I had been in um, broke up around that time, and then I had wanted to leave Boston. In fact, we were supposed to move to Austin, and even though we'd never been to Austin, we had read some article about, oh, it's the coolest place to live, right? And um, decided, and then and then he, you know, he didn't want to move, and um, I didn't want to stay in Boston, and this sort of um, created this breakup. And so then I felt like, oh, well. What am I going to do in Austin? I don't know anybody there. I don't have a job. And so I moved to Seattle where my brother and sister-in-law, my best friend were there. So I had sort of a support system. And then it was um, in Seattle that uh, so I was looking for a yoga studio to go to. And I came across this place. And then I really liked the classes there. And then they said, oh, you know, do you want to do the training? And do you want to work here? And that was the next step. And then I started to work for this organization. And um, and that's a whole another story that I'll tell another time. But there came a point where I was like running this yoga center and um, and not liking the way that they did things and realizing, oh, well, if I if I know how to do the marketing and the accounting and teach the class and do the healings and I, I'm doing everything for this center, why couldn't I just do that for my own business? And in fact, one of the yoga students had come into the class one day and had said, I'm reading this really great book, Journey of Souls. And I thought, oh yeah, that was a really good book. I should read that again. And that time when I read the book, just like all, like the bells and whistles, like suddenly I was just like, ding, ding, ding. It was, it was telling me, you're supposed to do this work. And so it was there all along, but I wasn't ready for it. And I see that a lot. And so there is a sort of trust and faith that if, if you have this desire that you want to be of service and help others and have some sort of meaningful path, if you hold that, um, it'll find you. But a lot of times there's a lot of growth and letting go of your own things that have been blocking you to fully step in that into that role. So it was never that I wasn't worthy. It was just that I needed to 
you know, believe in myself, actually. It was through running this center for someone else that I realized, oh, I can do this for myself. I'd had these, you know, skills and and so forth before, but um, I needed to believe in myself. It wasn't coming from the outside. The outside was reflecting what was inside. I mean, we all go through periods in our life like that where it's like you weren't ready for it, you know, until you were ready. And then and then it happens. Well, that's the spiritual awakening experience, too. Right. So like Mm -hmm. you were saying, like, oh, I wish I'd realized that, you know, that this job wasn't right for me then. But you needed to go through that to be ready at the right point for you to question and awaken to something different. And so it's going to be different for all of us, but it all happens in its right way when we're ready, you know? Yeah, it's one of those things where it's just like uh, you can't, it's it's not like you can really plan for it, you know? It's you realize, you just realize it someday that you're like, oh, this is what what that was talking about, you know? And yeah, because man, if that, that would be the golden ticket though, if, if you could just realize it's like, oh yeah, I know I'm only supposed to be doing this for two years and you know, and it's uh, but yeah it's it's always just one of those things where it's just like it happens when it happens yeah i think in a way you know we sort of need the illusion that we're just this physical body i think of it a lot of times like um actors and um if you had this actor, um, they go into and to this role, and then they become, you know, the really good actors become the character, and they have to forget that they're Tom Cruise or, or whatever, um, and become this other person um, to make it really believable. And and that's sort of what we're doing. If we were really aware that um, we are not this just this physical thing. Um, then it might be easy to not take any of it very seriously. I mean, I, I think the more that we become aware, we still have this, we hold this sort of duality, you know, they say a foot in both worlds. Because um, in one way you could say it's all an illusion, but it's an illusion that we're here living and experiencing. So there's an aspect of ourself that knows that we're always okay no matter what happens if we have this spiritual awareness. But there's another aspect that very much feels everything that's happening in this physical body and experiences that. And so we have to sort of hold these two uh, different perspectives and awareness to get the most out of it. Yeah, I mean it's it's a very convincing illusion. <laughs> yeah, it's a real good way of putting it. That's a real good way of putting it. Like you know, if you if you believe in reincarnation and you're open to that, and um, if you still really really remembered your last life, that let's say for you guys where you were a woman, then it might be hard for you to fully get to experience what it's like now that you're in a male body. And so we purposely create this forgetfulness so that we can fully delve into this experience, this one very specific, unique experience um, and get the most of it. That's that's the way that I see it. Wow, I never thought of it that way, but you're right. Like if I had any memory at all of being something other than I am right now, it would be hard to be myself, you know, or experience life this way in this body. And yet the more that we evolve and raise our awareness, we're able to to do that. We're able to remember our past lives um, and be able to sort of identify with that, but yet still be able to stay focused in this body, in this life, in this experience. And so it's sort of like this built-in protectionary mechanism, the way that you don't give 
you know, baby's fire because <laughs> they're not ready to handle it yet. But when the kids get to a certain age or, or adults, then now they're responsible enough that you can give them fire. I think that's what happens with our um, spiritual memory is when we are grown enough in our consciousness to be able to handle that, then we start to have more um, awakening and bleed through to those memories or the ability to tap into them. Yeah, I think about that a lot too. Like, I do wonder why, why am I able to understand this? And then I do sort of have this remembering that maybe I have had a lot of lives already and or experiences and I'm ready now for that to understand that part of what's happening and and I also think like maybe people who have this experience where their understanding of their own spirituality and that there is something on the other side and we're behind some kind of veil have gotten to the point where in their spiritual growth where maybe they're about to move beyond that graduate yeah, some sort of, yeah. And maybe that's just like my conditioning, social conditioning, thinking like, oh, there are stages, you know, but we don't really know, I guess. Well, I remember reading um, Autobiography of a Yogi. And have you guys read that book? No. no. Oh, it's a great one. No. Um, anyway, and uh, yeah, so you read, he's he knew from the youngest age and remembered his guru and all of these things. And I remember kind of thinking like, oh, why couldn't I have just had that, like kind of what you're saying before, um, why couldn't I have just had that awareness memory when I was that young? Well, mm-hmm. it's because he was, you know, an enlightened being. <laughs> he had a higher consciousness, like the higher our consciousness is when we, you know, come in, the more um, we can start off from the get-go remembering, or we have to kind of raise our consciousness through our life experiences um, to get to the point, to open to that. I have a question. It's a little off topic. I thought of it earlier and I didn't interject and ask it, but so you do, you do a lot of past life regressions for people. And I always wondered this, like do some people, and I know you're not going to be able to be specific about it, you know, for privacy concerns, but do people have like, when they do a regression and they haven't, and then they describe it to you, do they ever say things that like they maybe were some profession or had some talent or something in a previous life? And then you kind of see that in their current life. Do you, do you ever see that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Or even, um, sometimes, they will have an experience of a past life and then after decide like, oh, I think I want to explore those things now. Maybe I'm going to pick up a guitar and learn how to play or whatever it is, you know. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That's super interesting to me because it kind of lends some validity to their experience that they're describing to you, right? Like maybe somebody says like, oh, I was like a sculptor or something and then they later like you said, like they pick up sculpting and they really enjoy it and they're really good at it or something. And I always wondered like if you saw those things happening, but I guess you do. It's, it's really interesting to me because it's just so different from from what I do or what I've ever done. One of the things that I love about the work that I do, I mean, obviously it's very, it's varied. 
and I, I never know each day what's what's going to happen, what's going to come out of somebody's mouth, what's their experience going to be. And I like to tell them that, too, because sometimes people are nervous and I say, I also don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> but because I've you know gone through this process so many times before, I know, you know, it's all going to make sense and work out. Um, but one of the things that I really love about it is the fact that so before we go into the past life, this person shares about this life and the way that I meet these total strangers and they open up and share their whole life story and then we go back and we see a different life and I really get to know some you know really beautiful deep meaningful things um, from a complete stranger it's it's really I feel so thankful that I am constantly connecting in a real deep meaningful way with people and I guess I'm kind of spoiled like that. That, that reminds me of this. Um, there was a story, and I'm trying to remember where I heard this story, but it was a guy who was a, I think he was a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and he said something kind of like like what Tiana was saying, where it was just like the most fascinating thing about what he, what he does, and he'd been doing it for like 30 years, was that it's the stories that he, he gets to hear because it's just like it, the stories are just completely mind-blowing, and, and they're like so interesting just hearing what somebody else has to say about like what they what their life or maybe even past lives if they've seen it is just like so interesting that that's like that's like the stuff basically that keeps him that keeps him like loving his work like on a day in and day out basis is so i'm gonna out you and say that you are interested in this kind of work too (laughs) and is that kind of what draws you to it yeah i am um i always i always liked helping people and and again it was just like as i was growing up i didn't know like what kind of career can i do that's you know where where I can help people, and because all I, again, it was just like all I thought was math and science. And it's just like, well, you can be an engineer, but you're not. I mean, that's not like you know, I, a psychiatrist, for example, it's not the same thing. But I always thought I always knew I always liked helping people, and um, and 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 like like a tie in a story about like it's just like the stuff that you find out what people tell you. It's it's so interesting, and 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 like just being able to like just like on a feeling kind of level, being able to see like somebody actually realizing something that they just had no idea about and it's completely like life-changing for them. For me, it's just like, that just made my day. I was just thinking about, yeah, nobody told me about hypnotherapy when I was in college. Exactly. You know, that wasn't yeah. a, an option that was offered to me. And even if it was, I don't think at that point in my life, um, it would have been attractive to me or I would have explored it. So it does happen in its right timing. Yeah. I. Um, if I had continued down the path where, you know, like I tried out stand-up comedy and maybe I became like a successful comedian or something like that, hypnotherapy would have just, it wouldn't have been on my mind, but it's just like, you know, I, I had, my life had changed a lot, you know, as I started like going through an awakening process and realizing different things that I was just like, yeah, remember when you, you used to like helping people a lot more, you know, and, and, and I just started, you know, and this is recent too, where it's just like, oh, hypnotherapy and I'd never even thought about this. Nobody told me about this before, you know? And yeah, that's that's how I kind of started, like, I guess, going down, uh, like, exploring this path, too. Yeah, I told you guys I, I was obsessed with uh, UFO and alien abduction ca- um, cases or books or whatever it might be. And I actually read, like, dozens of books on this topic, and... I always found it super fascinating. Like the most fascinating parts are obviously the, the regression hypnosis, like where they put hypnotize somebody and then they, you know, bring them back to what happened. 
And I always thought that would be a really fascinating job to have, you know, whether it's, you know, past life regression or, you know, when somebody's trying to relive some moment of their life. And, and, you know, there, that's a real, um, area of study for people, even in, in the law enforcement, they have people who will, you know, regress people so that they can recall the events of a crime that happened or maybe they were a witness and they saw like a license plate, but they can't remember it. And so they'll put them under hypnosis. And then a lot of times they will actually remember details like that, which is really interesting. It makes you wonder like, what's, how much are we taking in all the time? Yeah. Cause there's so much information coming in and our mind has to filter so much out. I, I find that a lot seems to happen during sleep and I will sometimes wake up in the middle of a conversation I'm having or a message will come through or an experience is happening. And so it makes me think like, oh, what is happening when I don't become lucid, you know, when I'm sleeping that I'm missing out on all this other stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I wonder like, oh, when I die, will all of that memory come back to me or what? Yeah, that's that's interesting. I don't know. You know, then there's this uh, this idea that there's like a mass consciousness where everything, all information is available, you know, all information from every person and that we share this consciousness. And there are so many instances of this like being validated too. I was going to make a joke. Oh yeah, it's called Google. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, or it's from our iPhones. <laughs> it's all there we're trying on the to, internet. <laughs> yep. We're trying to uh, create the the mass consciousness in in terms of like real physical reality. If you that's that's a super interesting idea too. The first time I ever heard this was um, that guy Terence McKenna, but he had this idea where I don't know if it was his or, or if it was someone else's, but he talked about it where if you think about the earth and what we're actually doing um, in terms of like what we're creating and you see the, the, the wires and the network that's going over the entire globe now and there's wires connecting every point on the planet and it's starting more and more to look like we're creating some kind of huge thinking being, right? Because you have all these little nodes, which are computers, and they're all connected to each other over these wired networks that are literally covering the globe now. And if you step back and look at that, it's starting to look like a giant brain, like a giant thinking entity, you know? And we're just doing it. Kind of funny to look at it that way, though. Kind of creepy when you say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This super mind. <laughs> Is it a force of good or... Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. We're just like, I don't think it's like, it, and it's one of those things, like if you step back and look at it, yeah, that kind of is what it looks like, but no one's consciously putting that out there. Like no one's like deliberately saying, let's make a giant brain, you know, we're just doing it I'm almost subconsciously. Yeah, I mean, I see that, um, of course, because I do energy work, I see that in an energetic way, that we're all, you know, connected through energy. And I've had a number of experiences in my life where um, I feel like I've tapped into something of someone who's close to me. And I think, you know, you can, there's been a number of cases like that, too, where um, something might be happening to this one person and they're in danger and their mom, who's thousands of miles away, suddenly senses and knows that's because we're all 
connected this way mm-hmm. um, energetically. But then again, and I think that's what it's it's happening outwardly, um, the same way that it's uh, happening inwardly. So we're seeing that like. Um, our phones are recording and remembering everything that we're saying and Alexa and all of these things. And so on one hand, you know, we're kind of like wanting to create more privacy, but in another hand, we're sort of like willing to give it up for the convenience of it, um, everything with the internet. And sort of energetically, it's like that too. Um, we're all interconnected that way, but mostly we don't um, see that. But I think the more that we are awakening our consciousness, the more okay we become with that. Because um, there's, in the end, there's really nothing to hide. If we're focused in this like way of growth that we're here on the planet to grow, then then there's nothing to hide anymore. Yeah, and you see, you see that happening in the culture, like it's becoming to be an age where there are no secrets because of like social media and you know these kind of things that are connecting people in ways that were they were never connected and now we're like all kind of airing our stuff out there some more than others and finding out like hey other people are feeling that way too and it's okay and it's becoming more of a thing now where no one hides things as like they used to right like things are out in the open they're talked about and you know and integrated into the society now and um yeah i think that is part of our evolution too is like hey we're becoming more together we're more one we're realizing yeah we are one it's like that whole global consciousness thing like more and more people are having experiences like you described and talking about it and realizing like, oh, maybe there is something there. Like maybe we are all connected somewhere. You, you said that thing about your best friend. And I remembered, it made me remember I was laying in bed one night and Crystal and my daughter were, were also, we were all sleeping in the same bed and they were asleep and I was still awake. And then all of a sudden one of them was like mumbling something. And then the other one uh, out loud spoke out loud and I was like okay that was really weird because it scared me because <laughs> it came out of nowhere and they both did it nearly the same time like I think my wife like mumbled and then my daughter like replied out loud like in her voice and it scared me because I was like oh what was that you know what, what are they doing dreaming at the same time or what and then they woke up after that my wife had asked my daughter a question and my daughter had answered but what my wife said was completely incoherent right like I didn't understand it and I was wide awake and apparently Lumi understood the question exactly and answered it out loud because my wife was like yeah that's what I asked (laughs) so I was like that was really weird because there's no way she understood that there's something going on there like they were connected in some weird way and their dreams are some other place i don't know but yeah yeah there there's there's we do have there is a mass consciousness there is we're all people we're all connected somehow in our mind in some other dimension or some other space there there's all kinds and that guy david wilcox he he's he's done a lot of research on that and he he uh he talks about how there are studies where they got a group of like a thousand people to meditate or something. Oh yeah. That was, I think it was called like 
I think it was called like the Maharishi effect or yeah, something like that. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's called okay. the Maharishi effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it had a noticeable difference in crime and all that kind of stuff like went down. Like everything that could be bad like went down like they measured it and it had yeah. a real effect on everyone. And so, you know, there, there, there have been studies. People are looking into these things. Yeah, I had this other experience um, when I lived in Boston and I used to... Um, I don't know, I always sleep on my stomach, but I would meditate on my back and um, at, at night. And I was meditating on my back at night on the bed, and my boyfriend was like um, in the kitchen on the computer. And um, so I laid down, and almost right away when I laid down to meditate, I just like slipped out of my body, and here I was like hurling through the cosmos, and it was gorgeous, it was so beautiful. And it was so weird because you always hear that space is silent, that there's no sound, but there were like all these um, sound sound waves. It was like, like a radio channel dial being changed and or it was so interesting they would come in and out and i was like curling through space and what was interesting is later this was like before the movie contact came out i don't know if you've ever seen contact but the very beginning of the movie is like that it's showing like space and then you hear these sounds and i was like oh did because i don't know i think carl sagan wrote i was like did he have the same experience (laughs) because everything that you read says space is silent but anyway so um so here I am going through space, and then I thought about my boyfriend, and I thought, oh man, he would really love to experience this. And as soon as I thought about him, boom, now I was like over, back over the bed. And I could see my body, and then, but oh, but now next to my body in bed, he was laying there. And so, oh, I guess he came to bed in that amount of time. So then I started to like, call his name or I tried to call his name but then I realized that I can't talk and so then I guess I was sort of mentally telepathically calling his name and sure enough I saw his like energy body I guess it you know sort of looked like him but it was more transparent and it was like coming up out of his body um and he was trying to move towards me but he was stumbling and I noticed oh his his feet his feet in bed are crossed and so his energetic body his feet were crossed too so I I came over to him and I don't know what I thought I was going to do but I sort of reached my I guess energetic arm out to him and when my energy touched his energy there was this like huge charge and then boom I was like back in my body in bed and I looked over and sure enough there he was laying in bed next to me with his feet crossed. I was like, whoa. And whoa. so then the next morning when he woke up, I wanted to ask, but without you know leading the conversation, I said, oh, do you remember anything unusual last night? And he said, oh, well, I had, that, I had a dream where you were calling me and I tried to come to you, but I was tripping. And so he remembered it as a dream. And, um, and this was one of the many experiences that I had that made me start to believe that um, what we consider dreams, that, that we leave our body, our consciousness leaves our body every night and is in astral realm. And what we experience as dreams is our consciousness in astral realm. Um, but yeah, so I sort of got that validation from him that he, you know, he'd experienced it, although he thought it was a dream pretty good proof (laughs) i mean if you go through it right like just telling the story it's like oh maybe maybe not but if you go through it it's like that's different because i've had a lot of dreams where 
when I describe them to people, people are just like, eh, whatever. You know, and I think that's part of the reason like that I'm so obsessed with the topic of UFOs is because when I was a kid, I, and as an adult, pretty much my whole life, I've had a lot of dreams about them. And I don't know why that is. It's very weird. Like, and before I even like read a lot or watched, you know, movies or anything, I would have that. So I thought that was, you know, always strange. Were you in the UFO or would you see them above or? Uh, on occasion I would be in, in them. Yeah. Cause well before I believed anything spiritual, like again, back at that time when I was in college and I was really kind of mockingly skeptical about anything beyond the physical material world. Um, I, I had an experience where I, a, a dream where I was in a UFO and I didn't believe in UFOs, but I had this, it was so vivid. Um, it was like going through a canyon and, um, and somebody was next to me talking to me, but I, you know, I didn't turn to see them, but they were like giving me information, which of course I didn't remember when I woke up, but the colors were so vivid, like colors that you don't see here on earth um but the thing that was the most powerful to me was this amazing music it was so beautiful that as i was waking up i was trying to like hold on to this melody it's the most beautiful thing i've ever seen or heard (laughs) um but it just didn't translate like it, those sounds don't exist here. So I remember trying to do that, trying to hold on to it, trying to bring it into, and I couldn't. It didn't, you know. Um, but yeah, it was so interesting because I didn't even believe in UFOs at that time. But that experience, like you're saying, it's so vivid. Like the colors are vivid, the sounds. They're things that that don't exist out here in the earthly material world. And so you have to question, where was that that I had that experience? Exactly. I don't have like lucid dreams though very often. I mean, it's extremely rare, but I don't have them where I'm able to control myself. It's mostly just like I'm experiencing the dream, but I'm not in control. Like I can't decide what I'm going to do next or anything. It's just like watching, right? I I did once uh, have a a very like memorable uh, lucid dream where, and it was during that time where I told you guys about where I had that little red truck and I was just didn't care what people thought of me and I was just being my my crazy self and I had a, this dream where and I'll always remember this dream where I was above the earth and I was I don't know I was just floating above the earth right and I had my arms outstretched and then I put them out like 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 a cross like you know like you would see like Jesus on the cross, right? His arms out like that. And I put my arms out like that. And I remember I was, I started to turn my body, like just like spin around slowly, but I'm above the earth with my arms outstretched and I'm spinning like that slowly. And then this word comes into my mind and it was Bodhisattva. And I was like, I had never ever heard this word in my life and so I woke up and I remembered the word and I was like wow that's weird I'm gonna look this up and I didn't even spell it right I put it into Google and it came up what it what it is it's like it's 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 like a 
a Buddhist entity or I, I'm, I don't even remember it, but I remember seeing it. I remember this is like some spiritual term for a person who's like of service, right? Yeah, it and, means that you choose to, even when you have evolved past needing to reincarnate, you still come back because you're going to be here to help others until everyone can get to that level. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, is that what see, I signed up for? Oh, my see, gosh. <laughs> see, and this is like, this is like so many years ago that, that I had this experience. You know, that that to me is like, it's the pinnacle of, of a spiritual experience. Like when something comes through that you had never in, it before knew about and then, you know, for it to mean something like that. And then like later years have gone by and I recently I, I have had that feeling where like yeah I, I'm here to help and I I think I've been here by choice to to do that you know and I don't know why I would think that way but maybe maybe that is maybe there's some truth to that that I mean and that's a dream you know that's that's a it was so real like when it, it was just so real to me and that it stood out and I remembered it for years after that you know so yeah I think you know when we say sometimes people will be like oh that was just a dream and it like diminishes the experience but if we just think of different states of consciousness instead of labeling it this way because um you know i'll guide somebody into a past life and then they'll have this whole experience that's powerful and these emotions come up and these insights come through and then afterward they go oh but how do i know that that's really real and i'm like well how do you know that this is really real when we die what if we you know we wake up in our consciousness and we think oh that was just a dream and so does it really you know we don't have to label it that way if we're focused on growth and awareness um then what does it matter whether i'm meditating whether i'm sleeping whether i'm awake there's so many people that are not awake when they're awake you know what i mean <laughs> they're not conscious right so um someone else's dream might be much more lucid and awake in consciousness than a person's whole waking life yeah i like that term too i think jason you use that term a lot too like that you're awake you went through an awakening process yeah that's yeah. that's the for me i guess that's like the best way i can describe it i mean obviously there's a whole bunch of other words that that are used but for me it's just that just seems like the most logical way for me to describe it yeah it's like a lot of things we our our language is somewhat insufficient at times you know you yeah. want to describe something and you just there's no words for it but yeah, yeah. yeah. i was just gonna say on a side note it's like uh, awakening of course it is it is a great term but it's like if you would like you're saying if there's the way to describe it if I remember back the day when I when I realized I was having an awakening experience, a more accurate description would be like, "Oh, what the hell is going on?" I was just like, <laughs> "I was just like, oh, what the hell is going on now?" It's like everything. It's just like I got to go to work tomorrow. But what is? It? <laughs> I, I was literally having an existential crisis where it was just like, if everything that I thought was true up until this point, well, everything, it's just like all that stuff is wrong. So it's like, what now? It's like it's literally like learning to walk again. It, and that's that's what it. You know, that's what it was really like. And of course, I'm kind of joking about this, but it was like a huge deal that is just encompassed into the word awakening for me, at least. Yeah, that's why I think that a lot of people reject that experience or shut themselves off 
because it is, you know, if, if you if everything that you thought was real is suddenly shown to you to not be and to kind of feel like you have to start from scratch, people don't want to do that. They're like, I'm just going to yeah. stick with this and I'll just keep going. Well, we've gone for a couple hours now. Do you guys think it's a good time to wrap it up? Yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Illusion. I also want to thank Tiana and Jason, as well as Casey Henson for providing the music. I'll quickly list some of the books that were mentioned in this podcast so you don't have to try to rewind and find them. First, there was Seed of the Soul by Gary Zukoff, and then Journey of Souls by Michael Newton, Work as a Spiritual Practice by Lewis Richmond, Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda, and David Wilcock was also mentioned, and a good place to start with him is the book called The Sourcefield Investigations. Next week, we're going to have someone on who's an astrology expert, among other things. Her name is Shannon Gill. Uh, I didn't really know much about astrology before she was scheduled to come on the show, but since she came on the show and after that I've done a little investigation on my own, I found out that it's really been a, a useful transformative tool for me. More than just useful, really. It's been a very powerful transformative tool. And I really didn't understand much about astrology before this, and I still feel like I'm just scratching the surface. but. I think you guys are going to really enjoy that episode. It's got a lot of interesting things in it. And she does do a little bit of predictive reading. So join us for that one. It's going to be really good. Thanks again. Bye.